you've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast, a common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie. All right, back in the saddle once again, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie, and I have got such an interesting guest with me today, a published author. His name is David Rogers Webb, a former oh, hedge fund manager, um, uh, M&A specialist, a bit of an engineer, a bit of a lawyer, a bit of all the things um, in the top money realms of finance. And he wrote a book called The Great Taking, in which his research led him to un- uh, potential underpinnings of our structure, as uh, David calls it, the construct, um, in which he's worried Things are aligned to take property away from the people and uh, usher us in, uh, basically looking a level deeper than just the hyperbole of the Great Reset, but the um, legal and procedural underpinnings that could potentially execute that Great Reset. So here he is, David Rogers Webb. Hello, sir. Yeah, hi Jay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for the the big build up for me. <laughs> well, I you know, you fascinated me. I came across I haven't read the book, but I watched the documentary and there was a lot of imagery. I really appreciated the documentary because you spoke directly to the camera. There weren't a lot of tricks and stunts associated, uh, not a lot of hyperbole. You just take us through the route that you followed, the mechanisms that you found, and I found it quite interesting. And I and I want to encourage the listener if you're if you're hearing this and you haven't watched the documentary or you haven't read the book, if you're a reader, go buy the book and read it. Then listen to this interview. Well, or get the free get the pre, free PDF. They don't have to buy anything if and that's how it is spread globally is that it's there's zero friction. The PDF has really gone viral. So the the physical books are just there if someone really wants a physical book. And uh, they are nice. I mean, it's nice to have the real book, but uh, it, you, you can ease, don't let that hold you up. Just go to, go to the greattaking.com and you'll find a button. You have to click through a couple of things and you'll find the uh, free PDF download. And I'll probably find that link, put it in the show notes, um, and I'll also have a link if you are a viewer short on time and you want to watch the documentary. So watch that documentary, read the free PDF. How amazing is that? The anti-grifter, David Rogers Webb. Yes, right. <laughs> we don't have time to do much grifting right now. <laughs> That's right. This time is, is short. This is a rescue mission, and I appreciate a fellow traveler that I found um, with integrity at heart and help in the hand. Um, so, David, uh, the reason I told people, hey, watch the documentary, uh, read the book before you listen to this interview, is I don't want to rehash um something you've already created, I would like to have a discussion with you as an interesting person on um, kind of the contents of the book, your life, how you see things going, and the ways people can help. 
Um, one of the things I find interesting about you is you you left the United States of America and you currently live in Sweden. Um, do you want do you want to talk about the kind of the underpinnings of the the logic and reasons why you became yeah. an expat? Yeah, I I um, you know my family history, my you know I loved I loved. Cleveland and uh I loved my home all my roots were there um I when I came back from New York I bought a house within the sound of the church bells I remembered from being at Grandpa Webb's house you know when I was a boy you know it was home and it was um quite a tragic process for me to leave again and um I think I think the beginnings of that process was in uh, after September 11th, which, like many people, I didn't really understand right away. But because I was running these hedge funds through that period of time, my trading room was a newsroom. And we saw everything that happened. Sometimes it was vital to know what the exact sequence of events had been in order to understand the causality of what was happening in the markets because uh, what was reporting in, in the news never accurately reflected what was actually happening. And uh, it was through that period of time that I, I understood that um, while, while the moorings may have been slipped earlier in the United States, it was, it was going to a new level in the post, uh, 9-11 period war on terror period in, in terms of the disconnect between what was actually happening, which I knew full well and what was being reported in the media. And I, I began this process. I would write these qu quarterly letters to to investors in the my funds people that i was responsible to and um i would accumulate material on my desk now i i when you know when i was running these funds they're highly levered i developed a, a very unusual strategy i was using three or four hundred positions i had on at the same time it was a lot to to hold in my head and manage and the the thing about me is if if something comes up and it fits with my mental model i don't need to pay any attention to that if something comes up and it does not fit that is what can kill you so that is what i was focusing on and so things were coming up that just did not fit with what the narrative was. So I was accumulating these things and eventually I had quite a thick stack of things that people did not seem to know about. And then I narrowed it down to something smaller than that and attempted to talk with people about this. So this was the beginning of a kind of journey for me of going from being a finance guy, a God and country Republican, to something quite different than that, becoming increasingly more of an activist 
even while I was running the funds, I was doing this, trying, trying to figure out how to get through to people and um, finding that was very difficult. And then I remember a point in, it was July, it was the 4th of July in 2005, and I went to the place we normally went with the kids for 4th of July fireworks, and it was uh, school grounds. And as we entered the school grounds, there was an enormous, heavy, armor-plated truck with big block letters on all sides spray painted saying prisoner transport vehicle. And there were teams of police with attack dogs going through the crowd. This is the 4th of July. I pay attention (laughs) to something like that. That was deeply disturbing to me. And there were there were other other things like that. There there was a vice presidential debate in Cleveland at Case Western Reserve University, and they had a circle enclosed in chain link fence with a microphone in the middle of it, and that was the free speech zone. If you wanted to say something, you had to enter that circle. Of course, no one did. The same kind of thing with a very heavy police presence. Then, then um, you know the the things that I discovered in terms of the subversion of the property rights to securities. That was then I discovered that in two thousand eight, uh, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. So a bit later. Uh, and then that's when I came to, came to Sweden really because I understood that it was possible to own securities in Sweden (laughs) and you really owned them at that time. Now, subsequently that has been subverted as it has everywhere, but I fought that. I fought that process. I met with the the minister for financial markets in Sweden, the, the state secretary, and these people, they, they did not disagree with what I was saying. This is, but they couldn't do anything about it <laughs> because they're, they're in the EU. So the, this, um, that is how I ended up coming to Sweden and Europe was around these issues, but it's also because I felt like I, I was so saddened by seeing what was happening to my country, to my home. It, it, it was um, terribly dis- distressing to me. I couldn't stand to see it anymore. There was essentially no one I could talk to about what was happening. Um, and then I think we kept our house all the way, um, you know, my mother, uh, passed away at the end of 2014 and I spent a lot of time with her. I came back several times a year and, uh, um, it it was some of the best days of my life, just, just sitting with her. And so she passed away in 20, at the end of 2014. And in 2016, there was the Republican convention in Cleveland. And what most people do not know 
is that the city was surrounded by 12 foot high razor wire fence. There were tanks on the street. There were military planes circling over the city. And this was for the Republican convention. It's a very strange thing that something like that can happen and people are so shut down, they don't even see that as being abnormal. (laughs) Uh, And so that was the last straw for me in terms of having anything there. I decided I don't need to have a house here. And um, it it was so it it was I was patient. I worked at things. I was patient for a long time. Um, but that that was something I just um, um, I I I um, now now I have to say what I find. Sweden is a beautiful place. The people are very nice people. Uh, there, there is, uh, there isn't much of a pain body as Eckhart Tolle would call it in Sweden, because they haven't had a lot of trauma here as a society, but they're working on that (laughs) and and, uh, it's coming. And, uh, the government is, uh, essentially non-existent. The government here is, I mean, it's changed a lot just, uh, in the last few years, it is uh, highly compliant. Of course, they're giving up 200 years of nor- neutrality with zero discussion about that. They, within the last few weeks, have start- started threatening the public that uh, they must prepare for war, which, of course, what sense does that make? But to such an extent, with such an amplitude that that uh, children are calling helplines, anxiety helplines, with being threatened like this. You know, the parliament was called together in front of the military and told to prepare for war and uh, what the chain of command would be. I mean, this is so I, I say to there are lots of people that are trying to figure out where to go and what to do. And I say, well, you have your choice of frying pans and fires yeah. right now. Yeah. And it's um, the world is on fire and it is so interesting to see how many people don't see it. Um, the analogy I've used going back um, uh, several decades, like you just did, um, is that you could see the train car was on fire back then in my young adult life, and we seem to have just keep moving from car to car on the train line. Well, it feels like right now, um, after seeing society move from one train car to the other, um, that we've reached the engine compartment and there's no more hopping on to the next car. Uh, we have to put out the fire. We have to go directly to... Um, the battle, if you will, um, within the construct to try to put out the fire and repair this train. So one of the things that you mention in your documentary, in your book, um, is that you had a very interesting upbringing. And, and I, I almost gleaned that you, you describe yourself as self-taught and, and that, and that um, self-direction of learning um, created a different way of looking at things. W- would you find that accurate? Yeah, 
Yeah. You know, as I, as I, my mother, my mother was a big believer in learning exactly the way to do something instruction. (laughs) I think she was raised that way. And she, she was mystified as to how I could know how to do things that I hadn't been shown how to do. And, and so she asked me, this is when I'm running the hedge fund. She's saying, how did you learn how to do this? I said, mom, there, there are no books explaining what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah. And, and also in the documentary, something that spoke directly to me, and I want people out there um, that are trepidatious about getting involved, they still haven't gotten off the bench and injected themselves into whatever their particular point of interest is um, to try to repair this body. Um, he pointed out in the documentary, you did, excuse me, David, um, that it was going into... When you were working, I think it was M and A, or or you you had a model, and then all the different hedge funds wanted to see your model, and so you went and toured in sales. You went and toured all these different facilities, and going into those facilities, going into these monoliths, these these legendary um, halls, that you actually gained a comfort, that you had this lesson that experiencing places and structures make them less imposing and monolithic. And, you know, I have I have felt that within politics as I've injected myself in um, to politics and on this journey, I've gone into all these intimidating structures and found that it's all just people and and a highly capable person can go into these institutions, these monolithic structures and find that they can swim, that they can walk, they can talk, and they can participate, that the intimidation um, isn't there once you actually go in and experience it. And I thought that was an important lesson. Can you speak on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it just... I'd say that's something I discovered to my relief. <laughs> that is what, what happened. And maybe even in hindsight, uh, I think the beginning of it is that um, if there's something that you're intimidated by that is frightening to you, there is enormous power in going right at that thing not avoiding it, going right into the center of it. And that, that makes incredible things happen if you do that. So that's kind of the beginning of it. And then you find that these things that were so intimidating, that that falls away. I mean, there's a little bit of a step. I mean, the people you meet are they kind of, um, because of their anxiety, you know how this is when you're, it's the unusual person when you first meet them that they're relaxed and they're really being themselves. They're usually, especially in a, in a, you know, a a kind of tense, uh, business or professional setting people are, are often, um, not, not being real. Guarded. Not being good. Yeah, they're guarded. They're not the authentic person. So people can be a little off-putting to begin with, but eventually if you stay with it, you find that they're just people. 
Yeah, and if you if you go into these intimidating structures um, with integrity and honesty and intelligence and maturity, you're going to be just fine. And you and you might find that you're needed, that um, that you might be the highly capable one in the room. So I, I think that David's lesson there, um, in my own anecdotes, um, encourage people to go get involved. Now, I want to go back to one of the things you were saying. We're, we're going to go back to the late 90s again, early 2000s, 9-11, and what you were talking about that wasn't said was essentially um, something I point out, uh, PNAC, um, Project for the New American Century, that was written before 9-11. Um, the uh, NSA, oh boy, I can't remember the the the, the bill, the, the strangely uh, worded bill that created this control structure of security on the uh, United States. All of that was ready to go, and, and it was almost like the plans. And so back then, um, it was resistance against this um, Republican-controlled executive branch um, in the early 2000s. How odd has it been for someone that pays attention like you that things have become inverted and flipped to the point now where this Democrat party is the one that's um, marching us forward. Um, the, the people that were protesting things like the WTO are now um, trying to stamp and, and, and crust this um, on our society. Uh, how odd has it been for you to see that flip and the realization that, that there's a homogenous you know, uh, global intent in both parties that are trying to destroy sovereignty. Yeah, I, <clears throat> yeah, I think there has been a progression over um, in my in my lifetime in coming to understand that that um, both parties are controlled by the same interests. Clearly, I think I think most people now understand that yet people are still tempted to think that they can make a go of it with, with one one party or the other and i would just say you really can't at the federal level you really can't maybe maybe it's possible at the state level to to do things because it is uh you know there there are more people that are just people but at the uh the the well as i say all the political parties are controlled by the central banks and all the in the governments and the militaries and the police and of course the media it's all controlled by this uh uh incredible power that they have they control the governments it's not the other way around well, it's interesting because um, I find one of the things that drew me to wanting to speak to you was the hope that you find in the end of the documentary I watched. Uh, it's something similar to what I speak about when it comes to the construct and how the construct isn't real. And, you know, it's essentially trying to cheer on the ants to stand up against the crickets. <laughs> yes. and, but, right. but it's interesting you say that the, you almost say hopeless when it comes to the federal level, but those are the things that I'm trying to inject myself into because um, within the documentary, and I want to try to shift to more of the, the wonky details now, 
there has to be a rewriting of these structures, these procedures, these rules that have been placed within the construct. And as you point out in the documentary, it was all created by lawyers. It's going to have to be unwound by lawyers. Wouldn't injecting um, real volunteers into this federal system be the solution of repair? Well, I... I have come to, uh, you know, I've been thinking about the strategy of what can be done, and I think there are two levels. Um, I, I think it's very difficult. I mean, what you're saying is very difficult because the people trying to fight it uh, have n- no, real, no real backing behind them, and there's this torrent of created money financing every everything that's against them um so unless you can exploit some kind of asymmetry to to affect things you know it's going to be very difficult but let me let me let me go to what i'm speaking you know the in terms of the strategy the this property um to to prevent the taking uh the subversion of property rights um as you said, it was done by lawyers. You know, it has to be undone by lawyers. And it, it was done in the subversion of local law. And it has to be undone by simply reverting the local law. So in the United States, where this all began, it was changing the Uniform Commercial Code state by state, conforming it to this revision written in 1994 and that was done over maybe you know five years in the night in the latter 90s um so there needs to be a process at the state level and it can be done for state legislators perhaps an attorney general gets involved to revert this at the state level in europe it will be done on the national level the local law, country by country, was subverted to allow this transport of, of collateral uh, cross-border um, in Europe, subverting you know, centuries of property law. You cannot have a free society without property rights. You, that when that is gone, you're in serfdom. That's what they're making happen. The central banks are there i call it the taken to calling it the unholy trinity it's the central banks that are their powers are born in war financing wars they are sustained by wars they say they say the health of the state is war well the health of the central banks is war and that so it's central banks warfare and totalitarianism and the, the, the central banks have funded all the totalitarian movements. So they, these people are not capitalists. We may be capitalists. People in the society may be capitalists. There's nothing wrong with capitalism. These people are not capitalists. They funded Bolshevism. They funded, they funded uh, National Socialism. Um, the the uh, the the uh, go and look at what the Fabians are in Britain. This is what 
what um, Hayek, Friedrich Hayek warned about in 1944 was that even though the war would end, all of the ideas of national socialism would be continued by Britain, literally. The, the Fabians believe that popular democracy must not be allowed, that individual autonomy must not be allowed, that society must be run by an aristocracy. Their symbol was the wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, they founded the London School of Economics. This has been made respectable. <laughs> Centrist thinking. Keynes was a Fabian. They, they have structured the whole idea of the economic system and how it works uh, with, with a, this insane logic that they are moving toward one world government. Uh, and then you have people like um, uh, Bertrand Russell, who was considered to be a genius philosopher, mathematician, who was a Fabian. <clears throat> he wrote a book in 1953 in which he is explaining that uh, that individual freedom can't be allowed in any country because that country would then outcompete the centrally planned countries and would defeat them in warfare if the people are free defending their rights in those in those, in a free country would defeat the totalitarian countries so that if we're going to end war, we have to have a one world government with no free countries. Yeah, kind of crazy logic. So, and, and people can see uh, what David's talking about when he um, discusses his uh, thick files of phone book that he, that he whittles down. You can see things throughout time. For example, um, World Economic Forum and the way that the, the monetary fund, the way that it would l lend money to poor countries and basically um, get them in debt. Um, how did that work out? So now we've been 15, 20 years later um, in that and it was almost a control structure that was placed over them, not prosperity. Um, you can go through the financial crisis, which is featured a lot in the documentary in the book, um, and you can see where too big to fail came in. But it almost seems like the narrative moves on and we forget or we are, are taught to look away from these things that we've seen. The, the biggest one that I think um, should, should have woken up society and woken up a lot of people was um, during COVID, how the stock market didn't crash, everything was fine, and yet it was because we were printing money more than ever before, flooding our systems with printed money, just imaginary money. And who was at the window, the Fed window, would be these 30 banks um, that had the right to take this um, zero interest loans and then disperse it out through society. And that's how things kept going. So when we look at it, and I, and I watch your documentary, I can see analogies, the way you're laying things out, with the way cryptocurrency Ponzi schemes are set up these days. And it's almost the fractionalization of our currency has created um, this, this structure, this control structure, the fractionalization of 
what what was considered um, tangible assets, if you will. Can you talk a little bit about the CCP, the Central Clearing Partners, and this fractionalization that myself, as a as as a non finance guy, just a guy who pays attention to things, I'm trying to illustrate uh, for people. Have I touched on something there when it comes to that fractionalization? Well, I I think okay. Let me let me explain the 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 flow here. So, you, you people had property rights to their securities. They subverted that by creating this concept of a security entitlement, which had never existed in four hundred years of securities law. They quietly implemented this in the UCC and. And then the State Department forced the world to harmonize with this structure. So the uh, securities entitlement is a contractual claim. So if your custodian fails, becomes insolvent, you are an unsecured creditor with just a contractual claim to try to get your your own property back. Prior to that change, if your custodian failed and they did not return your property, that was criminal theft. Now it's not. So they, those securities are then held on a pooled basis. And the system, the, the, the biggest banks use these securities on an unlimited basis without restriction for their own purposes and free of payment. Now, this is what has allowed the growth of the derivatives complex. A derivative is just a financial contract. It is called a derivative because it's derived from something else. It's not a real thing itself. There's nothing underlying it. It is something that is written about the behavior of something else And depending on what that thing does, a payment is made or a payment is received. So it, it, uh, you know, originally these were useful agreements. They were, they arose in agriculture. Um, It was a way for farmers to sell their crop at harvest time and receive payment at that time at a set price. And there were parties on the other side that actually wanted to buy at that time at a set price. So there were, it was an arm's length transaction. The parties on both sides, they, they were, they were, they entered into it freely. Then this, this was extended into financial contracts relating to things like interest rates um, to swap from a, floating rate into a fixed rate or vice versa. There's a party on each side. Um, so what, and, and then derivatives turned into, they, they, they contracts started being written on behaviors, any, absolutely anything you could imagine. Um, uh, so the, the, by, by the these changes in terms of subversion of our ownership was happening in the 90s and lo and behold shortly after that is subverted there's tremendous growth in the derivatives complex well why 
because they had the free use of the public's collateral as collateral backing for these derivatives bets, basically. So by 2001, 2002, derivatives, which really hadn't existed in a big way in the early 90s at all, by 2002, they were about twice the size of global GDP. That's when I was worried about it. And then by 2007, it was ten, five years later, 10 times global GDP. It's now estimated to maybe be, no one really knows for sure, but to maybe be about 20 times global GDP. All this is done using the public's assets free of payment as collateral. So now, now what happens is this, the public's collateral is transported from the, you know, the level where the records are of their ownership into these pools where there's no specific identification of who owns what. Um, and then on as collateral underpinning the derivatives complex. Now, where does that go? That goes to the central clearing counterparty, the CCPs. And now this is very interesting. Originally, as in the example I gave, the, these contracts were bilateral. It was a party on each side. They knew who they were. Your credit risk was with your counterparty on that contract as to whether they would perform or not. So they used the 2008 financial crisis to say, well, it is too risky that your counterparty could fail, like a Lehman Brothers. So we are going to force clearing onto central exchanges. These are the central clearing counterparties. So all of the derivatives complex is now concentrated into these things. All the risk exposure is on the balance sheet of these things. So the institutions that have entered into a contract, their counterparty is the central clearing counterparty, not some other party on the other side. So the problem is that the central clearing counterparties are really set up to fail. They have next to no capital under them. They are discussing groups around these entities and within them are talking about the prospect of them failing and their plans for what will happen when they fail, such as having pre-funded a new central clearing counterparty. Now, this is the key thing. When they fail, the the uh, and there's no counterparty to stand on the other side of the contract, the secured creditors will take the assets that have been that have been extended as collateral. And the we know from a Federal Reserve document, and I, I, I can, I'm getting a little long-winded on this, but we can go into this, but it's irrefutable that the secured creditors behind the clearing parties have super priority to take the client assets. So what, what they've done in this subterfuge is to say, take something that always had been property that would have been 
absolutely solid in a chain of insolvencies. The public would have gotten their assets. They've turned that into a very vulnerable contractual claim that has no standing. And then they've taken what always were contracts that would have no standing in the insolvency, and they've given the secured creditors behind that, which are only the very biggest banks like J.P. Morgan, super priority to take the assets in the client pools. And that is the great taking that David is trying to uh, illustrate and warn us about. It's a very interesting um, investigative track that you have followed. I I think I use different words, but yes, uh, that the fractionalization, those contracts, the way it was split up, spread out in pools, in, in obscuring ownership and claim. Um, therefore, the custodians, which used to be um, just the, they, they, they earned their money for uh, executing these transactions, now all of a sudden the custodians become the property owners. It's a very complex convoluted, but at its core, that's the point, is to create a complexity and convolution. Um, to well, ex- it's, ex- it's, uh, it's actually pretty simple. It's just obfuscated. <laughs> it's obfuscation. It's, uh, it's very simply, they are just, um, they're taking people's assets free of payment and without their knowledge. And attorneys that have looked at this, that now understand what it is, say, this is criminal fraud. Hmm. Let me let me fast forward a little bit, because um, you, you laid that out really well. It's in the crux. It's, it's in your book. Um, and it is, you may say simple. Um, but but it is complex when it comes to to normies, if you will. And what I appreciate about the solution you talk about, where you talk where you mention that these people that we see high up in these structures, they're just people. And they don't even necessarily understand what they've gotten themselves into and what they've gotten society into. And in an awareness, at these levels, these boardroom levels, these executive levels, awareness might actually be a part of the process of change, heal, repair, um, yes. stop, stop lights from this the the great reset. And I appreciate that as a, as a solution, um, truth as a solution. Did you did you direct the documentary um, and make suggestions on some of the imagery, um, or was that handled by somebody else? The imagery was handled by someone else. I I did the the my part. I did that in one take. I just talked, and it was basically pretty much a continuous shot. I mean, it was edited down a little bit, and then the filmmakers put all of the fast-moving imagery behind it. So the imagery is not necessarily direct, directly related to what I'm saying, but it it conveys it conveys something about what I'm saying. Well, you you can tell the director um, plays in a lot of investigative tracks um, that I have followed. 
and I, and I want to push back a little bit on kind of the, the culminating structures that you point to um, that have controlled and pushed this process. You mentioned the CIA in particular. Um, the imagery that the director chooses is that of psychological operations units within the United States military. And I appreciate that these are um, monolithic, some secret uh, organizations um, that work on behalf of the United States of America. But in this process of awareness, as you're saying, within the corporate um, boardrooms, um, this awareness and this ability to put the brakes on this train to put the fire out, that also can come within these governmental structures like the CIA, where I see from my investigative tracks that these are not um, um, organizations, government bodies that are working in tandem with one eye um, uh, towards a prize, that there's actually factions within these large organizations. The DOD, I pointed out all the time on this podcast, is the largest employer in the world. The Department of Defense, the United States of America, is the largest employer in the world. And within that, there are factions that have access to levers of control, levers of direction, and reaching those um factions that, that, that might be on our side for uh, freedom and putting a halt to these mechanisms of control, they can also be reached just like uh, the boardroom and the executive level that you speak about. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I think it's very important to have, as I call it, the big tent that we are we are all in this including the people that have been um helping to make it happen they're not really aware of where it's going um and i i i i you know i think we've all experienced that that people are not really aware of uh you know what they're doing even things they're you know, they're doing themselves. They're not really aware of what, of, of, uh, how it connects with everything else. Um, I, I would say, you know, I, I work to the top, uh, of things in, in New York. And I would say that, um, uh, people at the highest levels really don't understand this. Um, more recently, you know, for example, you can, um, oh, this was b before, before the, um, the law was changed at the EU level, you know, I met with, uh, one of the, the, the top securities attorney at one of the biggest banks in Sweden, and he was not aware of any of this, but he went away and came back and and had to say, yes, this is the case. Um, and this, this is continuing. I had, a um, a call from someone who is extremely wealthy in Switzerland. This was this past weekend. And he told me that he, um, 
exposed this to his bankers, to his attorneys, to his, he has his own family office, the people running his family office. None of them knew about it. But after they had to look at, at it, they confirmed that this is the case. So there, to the highest levels, people are not aware of this. And th- this is really my purpose. Once they, once they, to, to take one piece of what we're facing and concisely present it as a, as a whole so people can, and do it irrefutably, so people can see this is real. And that is what punches the hole. You know, people, people have, they're so overwhelmed with, you know, um, conflicting, disturbing information on steroids that they're quite shut down. And uh, psychologically, everyone has their get out of jail free card that says, I don't have to listen to this. I don't have to listen to what you're saying. <laughs> I, I stopped listening a while ago. And, and, you know, when people are in that condition, it does not matter what information you give them. It's just water off their backs. So every, in, in order for people to um, have some kind of a shift, something has to punch the hole. And that's what this tends to do. Even, even you know, the, the death and harms from the COVID vaccine don't seem to do that. But people with this, people seem to um, um, seem to be able to enter into it and realize that this is uh, planned. It's irrefutable that it's planned. Um, and then they then they then they realize that um, they need to do something about it. So for example, this, this man in Switzerland, I would say, I mean, this is a wealthy guy, but he knows now that if he does nothing, he will lose everything. So he here's a guy that, you know, at this point in life wouldn't be worried about anything like this. Well, now, now he is uh, essentially becoming an activist, you know, so this is what it takes. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've, I've long said that this is a multi-plank effort and the financial end of things um, is a very important plank. I mean, these folks at the World Economic Forum and different organizations um, like that, they're playing in finance. So naturally, the mechanisms of control will be financial. Um, but again, is encouragement for other people to get involved, whether you're in the financial plank or the global health apparatus that has been um, set up uh, through nefarious characters like an Epstein. Um, that's a plank. Whether you are in a reality investigator, um, taking a look at this narrative that seems to grab people and move them along, or you're looking into compartmentalization the very thing that allows people to not see the whole picture and keep marching in lockstep within their own um, sphere of influence. You know, we all do need to come together as humans and uh, recognize that freedom is important. It's a, it's, it's given uh, by God and, 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 
it's the way to live our life. It's it's the underpinnings of innovation and progress, to use that word, all come from freedom, uh, freedom and um, working together. So I hope um, people, if you want to contemplate the complexity of what David is saying, or you want to be inspired by somebody that's trying to dive deep into the financial mechanisms of the control structure in our society, uh, please uh, join us in uh, bringing these conversations to the forefront, because that's how we're going to um, bring more people uh, make more people aware of the underpinnings that are moving us forward, uh, because it's possible they have plans uh, with these underpinnings, um, and they are outwardly speaking about it now. What was conspiracy a few decades ago by people paying attention, um, they are out in the open now saying that they uh, are looking to do this with our society, as if uh, they no longer care about being out in the open, as if it's already written but it's not already written. We have a pen and a voice in this process. <laughs> yes, yes. So I, I, I want to, Jay, I want to mention, I, I think this is important, uh, that this finance piece is not just like one piece of this. Let me, let me explain. So as you mentioned, during covid unlimited money was created. So they, they did that. They dropped the, so, so let me step back. When, when the bank of England was started, when the federal reserve was started on the same model, what they do is the, this newly, this group that gets, gets the, the power to start the private central bank they create the money out of thin air to buy government bonds. So the government gets this money that was created out of thin air. The Treasury could have created that debt directly without these people being involved. So they insert themselves into that. Now the public is paying interest on that debt to those people on money vast amounts of money they created out of thin air they also do this at the time of a war so the fed was created nine months before the beginning of world war one coincidentally you know the bank of england similar and and then they use war to massively escalate this debt each time then they use the government bonds they've created as their capital base that they lever 10 to 1 in making loans to the public, that they also create the, they create the money out of thin air. Now, the scale of the receipts, it is an extraction system to extract everything from the economy um, to those people, very closely held. This is how they come to control everything. You know, the media, the governments, all the political parties, all the biggest corporations, everything. Um, so it's not like just one part of this. It is the center of it. And all of these. Um, uh, so so then early in the in the covid period, they dropped the reserve requirement to zero. 
So it's no longer 10 to 1. It's unlimited, the amount of fiat debt that they're creating through this period. Now you go, you go into the, I, I think we are in an escalating global hybrid war. So you have COVID, you have Ukraine right on the heels of that. Hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians killed needlessly. Then you have the, the attack in Israel and the, the um, you know, carpet bombing of Gaza. Uh, following, following that, we, we also have with the reversal of interest rates from zero to 5%, there are massive insolvencies globally that are being masked somehow. So what I'm, what I'm talking about here is the scale of the money creation, this fiat money created out of thin air. This is not being sustained by your tax dollars. If this were restrained by some finite money as the founding fathers intended, none of this would be happening. So the, the global hybrid war is enabled by the power given to these central banks to create unlimited money. And if, if you want these things to stop, that power must be ended. The federal, the federal Reserve system must be ended. There must be an act of Congress to end the Federal Reserve System. People need to understand this. We are all in jeopardy. The, the, well, well, hang the, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Yeah. Because it's very interesting, and it's a Gordian knot. It's a catch-22, and I'm very I'm, – I love – I love catch-22s. When I was on the presidential campaign, we used to joke all the time about how we would be confronted with the next catch-22 that we had to solve. You said earlier in the podcast that at the federal level it was captured and there was nothing we could do, and yet in the end you come down to action that needs to be taken at the federal level. And, and that's why I want to say that I appreciate how critical the financial plank is to their execution, but it it is a multi-plank effort in which we need all hands on deck. We've all got to rush to this engine compartment that's on fire because everybody has a role. And this, this narrative distraction plank, psychological operations and compartmentalization, this is an important plank as well because the power, um, the, what gives the the financial instrument, this power, is this gaze of our society. And as long as they keep that gaze distracted and they don't see um, the truth of the construct, um, it, it continues. And, and I appreciate we're coming to the end, not just of this podcast, but to the end of, as, as, as the Fed printing has ramped and ramped and ramped, it's, it's peaked incredibly, to your point, what is the, 
what is the end of this? And the end is this new structure. They're saying it loud and clear to us. It's this great reset where all there's a wonderful illustration in your documentary where all the pieces of the Monopoly board are taken away and it's the game is reset. And who owns all those properties that were taken off of the board? It's it's to the heart of what you're talking about. And I think it's incredibly important. And I appreciate the voice that you're bringing, the research that you've done, and the tact that you're taking um, in how to address it. Mm. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you for, the, for, for uh, helping me to expose this. That really is what, what has to happen. We, uh, um, we, we need to um, spread this awareness um, all the way up to the top of the system. And that, that is happening. Yeah. Fantastic. Th- thanks. Uh, thanks for letting a little podcaster like me in Washington state, take your time, um, and have this discussion. Um, I, I just, I really love it when I can get a hold of people. It's very telling sometimes uh, with the with the grifters and LARPers when I can't get a hold of somebody and they don't want to come talk to me. And you have been very open, uh, responsive to me. I loved in the beginning of this podcast when I start telling people they should go buy the book and you interrupt me and you say, no, 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 it's a free PDF. <laughs> we're going to put that, we're going to put that link on the website. This is a volunteer effort. And I just absolutely love that you uh, are a part of that and uh, with that positive intentions at heart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's what we have. We, uh, we have to embrace what is happening. That's how you transcend it. You have to embrace it. Uh, It's better to know and to welcome that, you know, what is happening. (laughs) all right david i'm gonna i'm gonna say goodbye on the recording for now and just again thank you so much and i I look forward to watching uh your adventure as you try to get the word out and just to be clear to everybody else david is an american citizen um i've talked to him before and he's a very proud american citizen he just lives in sweden right now um farming and and living a a cushy life away from the the tanks (laughs) the tanks the airplanes and the hustle and bustle of the united states narrative yes yes (laughs) <laughs> so so what 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 are you doing on is it a farm that you're on now what's what's the task of the day or, or i guess you're in the evening time um yeah how, how do you go from uh, non-stop um seven days a week 24 hours a day financial analysis and money moving to uh slow life on the farm oh i well you know i i would not be doing this if we were not in this world situation, I really wouldn't. I never, I never had a great desire to be on a farm, but, uh, the year by year, the, 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 um, I, let's say I kind of knew that I needed to do this probably 10, 15 years ago, but, um, you know, didn't know where. And, uh, so I kind of snuck up on it and, um, we we bought this place in uh, 2017 and there were points when i thought well why am i doing this 
but every year it's um, things have become more intense in terms of saying this is exactly what we need to be doing. So this past year, I bought quite a bit more land here from a friend who was selling. And um, uh, it's, I guess, you know, I enjoy it. You, 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 you have to enjoy what's on your plate. And so, (laughs) but if, if, if this were not happening, I would like to live in the city, buy my food at the grocery store, go to nice restaurants, you know, go to the theater and orchestra. And I don't have any time for any of that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank, Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Well, we'll, we'll be in touch. There may be some developments and, you know, let me, let me ask, uh, Jay, what if if you had um, something? Well, I mean, what it comes down to is being able to change the uniform commercial code in the state. There, um, we're going to be working on this, raising awareness of that in the states. Is that something that you would have uh, an interest in or a view into in terms of? you know, being able to advance materials to people in the state government. Well, absolutely. But, but we need we need people like that all across the United States. Um, but I will say, since I've injected myself into the system on this volunteer effort, um, I have been in the same room as uh, both Republican gubernatorial candidates in Washington state uh, within the last two weeks. I've I've been with both yeah. of them. So, you know, that's part of uh, the lesson to people listening. You know, if you are highly capable and you uh, go in with um, integrity um, and honesty at heart, um, if you're highly capable, there's there's nothing really holding you back that these structures require uh, labor. And if you are a great multitasker and capable of labor, you will advance within the structure. And um, so it's about positioning uh, people like me um, around, just like you're saying, around these uh, circles of potential power. And, and sure, the the um, the person that may be elected may not have this um, specificity of understanding, but just like you pointed out, it's about having people around them that can come put that um, in their purview. And um, so, you know, that's that's where it, that's where I kind of mean it's a multi-planked effort, you know, and it all mm-hmm. it all ends up we. We aren't we we'd never talked to each other before and yet we we've been on the same volunteer mission just in different planks. And there are others out there that we have yet to meet doing incredibly great things. Um but I I'm gonna I'm gonna this this podcast is going a little long. We're getting into the okay, weeds. People, people love I, it. I'm sure yes. people who have listened this long are are liking it. Uh, but I've got to hit the stop button. So again, okay. again, I want to thank you and um and give you the give you the opportunity to say the final words. Okay. Well, um, I would say that um, we we are this very profound time we're in and um, we're, we're reaching a point where um, 
I, I, I'm fumbling around here to 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 address it. It's it seems so horrible what what we're dealing with right now, but it um, it is reaching um, a kind of uh, turning point for all of humanity because what what they're doing uh, they they've followed a kind of insane logic of control that they're attempting now to implement globally. Um, and so they will injure all people everywhere, all the way to the top of the system and at the same time. So, you know, divide and rule will finally not work. Now this is a different, so it's a difficult thing to face up to, but we have to embrace that. And um, their their power to do this is not um, um, it's 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 based on these constructs, as Jay was saying, they're not real things. The real world is actually remarkably robust, given all of the things they do to damage us and weaken weaken humanity. And um, once we pass this turning point, uh, things, things will get better immediately. We've got a bright future planned. We, we will yes. win, envision it, and get involved. All right. Goodbye, David. Okay. Thanks, Jay. We, we love, love you, Jay. The dude is all right. It's all about community. Come join us. You can find me on Twitter at jfrat. And all episodes of the Conservative Hippie podcast and show notes are published at theconservativehippie.com. And of course, as always, if you want to support this podcast and support your smoking lifestyle, go to smokinjays.com and use coupon code HIPPIE, H-I-P-P-I-E, for 15% off at checkout. Yeah.